You are listening to Metrics and Chill, a podcast about business metrics and the interesting ways that people improve them. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. My guest today on Metrics and Chill is Jazz Joseph, founder and digital marketing strategist at Jazz Ray Digital. Hi, Jazz. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us about your consultancy. Absolutely, yes. Um, I provide results-based digital marketing strategies for growth-oriented service-based businesses. So anybody in the service industry who's really looking to grow their business via digital marketing tactics, um, that's that's really my sweet spot. Right, right. And today, Jazz is going to be talking about MQLs, Marketing Qualified Leads, and not only how she's gone about increasing MQLs for a specific client and or clients, but also in communicating the value in tracking MQLs over simply just tracking SQLs exclusively. And that kind of, that's a good transition into the first question, um, Jazz, which is MQLs. How did you or why do you look to identify this area as an opportunity, maybe above others, maybe above SQLs uh, with some of your clients? Definitely. Um, So like I mentioned, I'm doing digital marketing strategies for service-based businesses. So with a lot of my clients, this one particularly, these are big ticket items that they're selling. So this client is selling consulting for manufacturing companies, specifically a lot of consulting on ERP systems. So it's a huge lift, both from a financial perspective to switch your ERP system, but also just internally. So it's not the type of thing where people are going to immediately land on a website, read some copy and reach out to a salesperson. There's a long sales cycle. And so because of that, you know, we, me and my client really had to pivot our thought process here to say, we're not generating the number of sales qualified leads that we had hoped. So instead of continuing to try out these tactics to generate more sales qualified leads, perhaps we need to switch our strategy to focus more on people in that middle of the funnel realm, generate some marketing qualified leads, get them in our database, and then nurture them into sales qualified leads. So that's really what we did and we found a lot of success with it. So tell me about the challenge that these types of clients come to you with. Is it, hey, we're obviously, obviously most people are coming to a consultant or an agency with, we wanna increase sales, right? Yeah. So then you're coming in and saying, okay, Let's increase marketing qualified leads. Is there pushback there? Like, talk to me about that communication and that conversation. Definitely. You know, it's it's absolutely a change in thought process, right? Instead of focusing on that bottom of the funnel, where I think a lot of C-suite executives are always thinking about, especially to your point, when hiring right. an agency, you know, you have to take a step back and as a marketing department or an external marketing consultant, you have to look at that larger picture, you know, that, that traditional sales funnel, buyer's journey, Um, and especially with products or services like this that are high ticket items that are going to require a lot of internal buy-in, um, you know, sales qualified leads are not coming in every day. People need that nurturing. They need that education to understand the why behind why they need to purchase your product, service, et cetera. Is it a hard sell on making that transition? 
Um, you know, I think it depends on who you're speaking to, right? If your speak, if your main point of contact is C-suite or a salesperson, yes, it's absolutely a hard sell, right? They brought you in and they wanted to see immediate results. I think if your main point of contact, if you're working with a marketing team, it's absolutely an easier sell. Um, and that's frankly, you know, that's why they're called marketing qualified leads versus sales qualified leads. So I think trust is a big piece of it. And you know, allowing people to um, invest that time in you as their consultant to give you enough time to generate these marketing qualified leads, nurture them down the pipeline so that they can eventually see that ROI, um, that light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. Right, right. And you make a good point there about nurturing. Tell me about the structure of some of these businesses, because it would seem MQLs work in a situation where obviously there's a good nurturing sequence in place or where one's needed, or maybe there's an inside sales team and they could reach out to qualified leads. But if, you know, obviously if there's no inside sales function or maybe there's a small one and now all of a sudden you're bringing all these MQLs into the picture and they don't have the bandwidth to be able to connect with all these reasonably, um, like what, what, what types of changes have to be made there? Like, is structure an important element of uh, adding MQLs sort of to the market, you know, basically to the whole mix? Definitely. Yes. Thank you for bringing this up because absolutely. Um, you have to have the infrastructure in place to be nurturing these leads. So if you are thinking about making that pivot from focusing on sales qualified leads to marketing qualified leads, the first thing that you need to ask yourself is, do I have the infrastructure in place to nurture them? So in my case, most of my clients are using HubSpot um, or some type of marketing automation tool. And so with that, we're able to automate a lot of this lead nurturing in the form of email marketing campaigns, drip campaigns, um, things of that nature to take some of that burden off the sales team. So the sales team doesn't have to constantly check right. in and quite frankly, to avoid the sales team from being too salesy up front, to allow for more of that marketing material, that education to drop into their inboxes before they start hearing from our sales team. And so when, I mean, it's going to be different by client, but like when typically does the sales team get involved? Like what's a best practice there? Is there a lead scoring element? Like talk about that. Yes. So it really depends on the length of your sales cycle. So I would push that back on the client to say, what is your general sales cycle? How long are people taking to make this decision? You know, in this, in this case with this client, like I mentioned before, this is a huge undertaking internally, you know, putting the cost aside to be completely switching your software system, to be onboarding everybody, getting all your inventory, et cetera, into this system. It's a huge lift. So people have to be really ready and they have to have the infrastructure in place on their end to make this decision. So we're talking months for this client. For other clients, maybe it's sure. a few weeks. Um, for other clients, maybe it's years. You know, um, It really just depends on your sales cycle and what your buyer personas, your target audience are going through in making this decision to use your product or service. Right. And like you said, probably the infrastructure of the team, what the sales team looks like and, and all those kinds of things. Um, great. So MQLs, you know, you identified that as an opportunity just basically because a lot of these high ticket item clients probably aren't getting a ton of SQLs in order to really beef up the pipeline, introduce MQLs, introduce a nurturing sequence, and it's a, a more efficient way to, to eventually drive more sales. 
Um, so that's why you focused on the area. Tell us about the nuts and bolts. What did you actually do or what does your process look like for improving or increasing SQLs for a specific client? Yes. Um, I have found a ton of success with LinkedIn advertising for these marketing qualified leads. LinkedIn is a place, especially in the B2B world, where people are going to seek information. So if you can offer them an educational, again, one of those middle of the funnel content pieces at this point in time, um, it's, we found great success with it. We've found a lot of conversions, um, some nice targeting features, etc. You know, LinkedIn, it really just makes sense. It's where people go for information. So if you can serve up that information to them, um, in a very targeted way, you're going to find success there. So why LinkedIn over say Facebook, right? Cause they both have really good targeting functionality, um, collect all kinds of data, LinkedIn more professional. Is that, is that really the 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 genesis for LinkedIn over Facebook is because they have more of the professional data? Exactly. For this client, it just made more sense. Um, I knew that their target personas, again, were more of those C-suite executives, and they were spending a lot of time on LinkedIn for their own business to generate leads, generate information, generate new employees. Um, I just knew that they were spending a lot of time there. So it made sense for this uh, client specifically. So walk me through like what actually works, starting with what are you what are you promoting? Like you, you mentioned middle of the funnel content. Are you promoting a console? Are you promoting some sort of PDF? Like what works there in terms of content? Yes. Um, so I have always found that a console is too bottom of the funnel. So we are promoting a PDF. In this case specifically, like I said, we were leaning towards this manufacturing audience. So it was an ebook, a guide centered around decreasing downtime. Downtime is a huge pain point for this industry. We know that. And so um, we created a guide centered around machine setup times, how to decrease that so that your machines can run more often and you can make more money. Um, And that's really what we saw success with. And this guide, we actually originally saw success with it from through an organic lens. So we were promoting it organically on social media, started to see some traction. So when we moved in this LinkedIn advertising realm, um, we already knew that this resonated with our target audience. Sure. So that kind of gave us a leg up as well. Right. That's smart. And so talk about the ads themselves. Uh, how, you know, what works, uh, you know, at, yeah. w- in terms of copy or image, like what works in terms of creating an ad on LinkedIn that drives engagement? Yes. Well, I would say, you know, the biggest thing is just test everything. So when we launched this campaign, we did a lot of testing to figure out what worked and In this case, we found that a video worked better than a static image. We had an animated video that we had created in Banner Snack. You know, it was nothing crazy. Um, Anybody who's not familiar with Banner Snack, it's similar to a Canva. And um, it was just a little animated video that called out like the key points that the guide was going to cover and, you know, just really promoted the title of it with an image of a person in the manufacturing space. Um, Very simple, but we did find that that more animated video got more attraction than the static image ad. We also found that the in-platform form 
got more traction than sending people to a landing page. So we ran those two ads in tandem to test them. And we found that when people had that extra step of clicking through to the landing page, they didn't convert as often as when they could just convert right in the LinkedIn platform via a form. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so um, you're creating PDFs that are obviously aligned with the pain points of these businesses, promoting them on LinkedIn. Video seems to work better than the static image. Um, what What about copy? Like it, it seems like, the, and this is showing up in the newsfeed or is there a different placement that you've seen work on LinkedIn besides the newsfeed? We found the newsfeed to be the most effective. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And you know, I haven't, We've tested some copy, but we haven't seen the dramatic change in results with copy that we have more so with the video versus static image and form versus landing page. Um, I think that when we're using that video, like I mentioned, it had some copy in it. It pulled out the key points um, that were in the PDF. So because of that, I didn't feel like our copy made much of a difference to the user. I think that's primarily where their eye was going. And for for targeting, uh, I assume you're targeting by role, right? Which is, you know, sounds like you were trying to target executives. What other, if any, targeting criteria has been super important for for you and your clients? Yes, we were targeting by role. We were targeting by industry and company size. Those were our primary ones, um, just because we knew that our client had a sweet spot as far as company size. If they were too big, they weren't going to be a good fit. If they were too small, they weren't going to be a good fit. So we did target by company size and then industry, like I said, primarily targeting those manufacturers. Another thing that we did too is my client services anybody in the United States. So we could have easily targeted the whole US from a geographic standpoint. However, from a budget standpoint, we would have just been spreading ourselves way too thin had we targeted the whole US. Sure. So we started targeting strictly here in the Cleveland area. So we ran our ad in the Cleveland area and that's when we did a lot of those te- those initial tests, like I was mentioning, to figure out what works, what resonates with this audience. And we ran it in Cleveland for a couple months until we started to see those leads slow down. In which, and then we really just picked up our campaign and moved it to another city. And we've been doing that ever since. Um, and that really helps us keep our budget smaller and more manageable but still attract people from, you know, all over the US just in smaller increments. So rather than launching a national campaign, you you've been kind of going city to city. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's smart. Cool. Um great. So yeah, it, it's it sounds like LinkedIn uh and and for some of these clients you probably don't have to generate tons of leads, right? Because to your point, you only need a, probably a few of these or high ticket items, a few of these to convert to really drive ROI. Um, what, what type of lead volume, you know, it doesn't have to be specific, but you know, just like, a uh, you know, a, a window here, like what, what type of lead volume are you, are you seeing from LinkedIn? Yes, exactly. To your point, we're seeing two to four leads per month, which is a huge win for them. Um, you know, one lead, a le- one lead a week, one lead every other week, um, was a huge win, especially because these were very, very qualified leads. They were the exact job title industry, sure. et cetera, that they were looking for. So we knew that we had an opportunity for these to convert. And then they sort of cold outreach. Well, it's not cold because they've already converted, but then they sort of perform the outreach, uh, once they convert. 
So that's when our drip campaigns really came into place. So that's when we started a lot of that email nurturing. And eventually, yes, our sales team would reach out, but it wasn't immediate. And that was another piece of this too, was training our sales team to reach out to these marketing qualified leads. It's a much softer reach when you're saying, hey, you downloaded a PDF. Is there anything else I can help you with? versus, hey, let me send you a quote, let's start working together. For sure. So that was an internal culture shift as well that we had to coach around. Right, bringing that inbound that inbound methodology and that inbound mindset to exactly. uh, some of the older industries, yeah. Um, so yeah, I know you, you already kind of talked about this, but results and how you measured it. So just digging into that more, two to four leads a week, that's a big number. So this is more than they were doing before, right? This is, this is like you said, this is a big win for some of these clients. Yes, definitely. Right. And have you seen that as you go city to city, that maintains? Yes. Yeah. Once it starts to slow is when we start talking about where we need to move. And yeah, once we move to a new geo, we generally see it spike back up again. Right. And it doesn't matter. Like geo isn't a huge uh, deal breaker for them. Like, like, are they traveling to obviously nobody's traveling right now or very few people are, but like typically are they traveling to meet with prospects before they close or is that, that's not really part of the sales process? Typically they're not, um, possibly on some of these bigger clients they may, but typically most of what they're doing is pretty consultative and can be done virtually over the phone, zoom, whatever. And so how do you share, um, like, how are you sharing results with them? What does that actually look like? What what tools are you using? What are you actually uh, using to report? Uh, and what, what, what access do they have? Yes. Um, our clients get a data box report. So um, we are using that to track everything. And then we're also having biweekly status calls to talk through these, especially at the beginning. You know, I really wanted to make sure that my client was involved in this and was A, understanding what was going on and B, was giving us a regular feedback loop. And so we were having pretty frequent calls at the beginning to say, a new lead came in. Is this a good lead? Is this a bad lead? How do we update our targeting? Um, et cetera. So that was really important as well. And then it sounds like you've kind of hit a sweet spot. You've hit a groove here where you know you know what targeting you need to, uh, you know, what targeting you need to uh, basically set to for an ad to perform. You know the creative, you know, video over images, you know the content. So it, it feels like you've kind of created this repeatable process that you can work across several clients, which sounds like is what you're doing. Exactly, yep. Awesome. Great. Jazz, this was, this was really interesting, um, especially because, you know, um, you're coming on and talking about, uh, you know, bigger, more high ticket, you know, consultative packages rather than maybe some of the smaller software, uh, you know, service offerings and things like that. So it's, it's a, it's a, the same mindset in terms of inbound, but the motion looks a little different and the volume obviously looks a lot different. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your process and sharing the numbers behind it. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.